it's Halloween, and to celebrate spooky season, this Patreon spooktacular continues our terrifying tour of the historic city of York, the most haunted city on earth. We turn our attention to a beautiful building that I was lucky enough to investigate while writing my book, Ghosts of York. Tonight, at this very special time of the year, let's look at a hidden gem, a location that's never mentioned when looking at haunted York, a 17th century hotel located two miles outside the city centre that has accommodated Hollywood stars and royalty. But is it haunted? Let's find out more together as we spend the night in Middlethorpe Hall Hotel. second Patreon bonus episode of How Haunted. How Haunted is a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. On this Patreon episode of How Haunted, in celebration of the scariest time of the year, I will read from my book Ghosts of York and I will read a chapter in its entirety. Tonight, get yourself comfortable, turn the lights down low, and get your jack-o'-lantern lit. Let me take you along on our ghost hunt in Middlethorpe Hall Hotel, when, as always, we ask the question, how haunted? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. This reading is from the book Ghosts of York, by me, Rob Kirkup, published by Amberley Publishing. Chapter 8. Four Star Scares. Middlethorpe Hall Hotel on the 27th of October 2011. This sure looks haunted, said Rich to nobody in particular as we approached the entrance of the four-star Middlethorpe Hall Hotel. He was right. I'd seen many photos of the historic house hotel which dates back to 1699, but none of them do the building justice. It is mightily impressive of that, there's no doubt. However, now we were face to face with it on a very dark, very wet October night. It looked particularly formidable. Tonight I was joined by Rich Stogo and John Crozier. My brother Tom wasn't able to attend due to work commitments. The porter opened the door for us and welcomed us to Middlethorpe Hall Hotel. We thanked him and approached the reception desk. The receptionist was taking a telephone booking, so as we waited patiently I gazed in awe at the antique furniture, the highly polished chequered marble floors and the Grand Oak Staircase. It is immediately apparent why this was the hotel of choice for the rich and famous visiting York. 
with stars such as Russell Crowe, Gwyneth Paltrow and members of the royal family all choosing to stay here in the 27 years since the building was rescued from decay and carefully restored to the luxury hotel, restaurant and spa it is today. I was in no doubt that we were not their usual clientele. Rich was in hoodie and jeans. I may have looked slightly smarter, although I've been in the shirt and trousers I was wearing since I'd left for work at 6.30am, almost 14 hours earlier, and it showed. John was also in shirt and trousers, and of course, his massive coat. All three of us were clutching Poundland carrier bags, having stopped off at Europe's larger shopping centre, the Metro Centre in Gateshead, for a bite to eat at Burger King, and then to stock up on cheap snacks and drinks to keep us going across the next 48 hours. Oh yeah, and as if to complete the look, I had the Viz magazine tucked under my arm. When the receptionist had finished taking his call, he asked who he could help. I handed over the booking confirmation and said we were booked in the name of Rob Kirkup. He handed over the keys to rooms 2, 5 and 11, and as he did he asked with genuine interest, see all the ghost hunters. We had a chat with him for 10 minutes or so, and he said he'd never experienced anything, but he knew of other people that had. This is something the three of us had discussed on the drive down to York, with John and Rich both saying that countless Google searches have brought up nothing about Middlethorpe Hall Hotel being haunted. Plenty of websites about the hotel, and plenty about ghosts, but not a single site incorporating both. I've got countless books on haunted York, and they wouldn't have found Middlethorpe in any of those either, as it's generally not regarded as being haunted, but through word of mouth I was advised that it may be worth checking out, as there have been reports coming out from the hotel over the last few years of guests experiencing anything from cold spots right up to full spectral apparitions. The hotel is such an unknown quantity as one of York's many haunted hotspots that to the best of my knowledge we're the first group to ever investigate it. Rich randomly handed out the keys and as he did another friendly member of staff appeared behind the desk and wanted to let us know that before we headed off to our rooms they had specifically set rooms two and five aside for us as that's where most of the paranormal happenings seemed to have been. I looked down at the key Richard only moments earlier placed in my hand. It had a great big number two on it. Great. Fingers crossed something happens in the room I'm staying in, I said enthusiastically, but secretly I wasn't all that comfortable with the idea. John had room five, the other spooky room, and Rich had room eleven. The porter said he would show us to our rooms and offered to help us with our bags. We approached the majestic oak staircase, passing valuable paintings as we ascended. When we reached the first landing there was a huge door in front of us with a brass plaque on it reading, the Duke of York suite. Above it was a number two. It was my room, and upon entering the three of us were taken aback by the sheer size and grandeur of the room. They must have ran out of the big rooms, said Rich jokingly as he looked up at the chandelier hanging from the ceiling. We walked through the living room with an antique bureau, an ornate fireplace, a flat screen TV, a sofa and an armchair and two enormous bay windows. We then entered the bedroom which had another flat screen television, a sumptuous looking two poster bed and two more bay windows. I was in the main suite in the entire hotel, the very room that the royals and global superstars would have occupied across the years. The very friendly extremely professional porter who had showed us to our rooms told us he used to work at the Royal Oak pub in York for many years and had some extremely unusual happenings which left him with no doubt that the building is haunted. On one particular night he was inside a room when a dresser on the other side of the door, in an empty room, 
moved in front of the door, trapping him inside. He said he'd not personally experienced anything out of the ordinary in Middlethorpe Hall, but he knows for a fact that many guests have. This room in particular proven to be particularly active. With those words reverberating around my brain, making me feel a little uneasy, they all left to be taken off to their rooms. It was 8pm and we'd agreed to meet back at my room at 9.30pm, an hour and a half later. This would give us plenty of time to organise our equipment, change our clothes and take a breather, as all three of us had done a full day's work prior to jumping into my car and heading for York. I kicked my shoes off and as I wandered into the bathroom I decided to run a nice hot bath. The very bath in which Shakespeare in Love leading lady Gwyneth Paltrow will have relaxed in when she stayed here, perhaps reading a book or shaving her legs. After my bath I took my bag of equipment into the living room area to saw through it. It was only at that point that I realised there was a letter for me on the table. It was a very thoughtful handwritten letter on high quality headed paper from the general manager who had been so kind in allowing us to stay. It was accompanied by another handwritten sheet with a list of all of the reported paranormal phenomena, room by room. I picked a few grapes from the bunch in the fruit bowl and read through them. Room 2. Previous maintenance manager reported his dust sheet moved while redecorating, and a very cold draught on his back. Room 4 and room 5. In both rooms guests have passed comment on feeling a presence during the night. Ladies toilet in the basement. My PA, as well as a young guest, felt a presence and then saw a lady wearing a Jane Austen square-necked plain dress and hair tied up. The library. The daughter of the previous general manager reported seeing a young girl, once again in period costume, playing with a whipper hoop. The spa. Our painter slash decorator believes that a lady comes down the stairs at 3am and is reported having heard voices and banging. I couldn't quite put my finger on the reason why but I felt a lot more comfortable in the bedroom than I did in the living area, which creeped me out, and it wasn't as a result of reading through the list of inexplicable happenings. I checked my watch and it was just after 9.15pm. I opened a can of cherry coke and sorted through my equipment, my torch, my voice recorders and my camera, checking the batteries and taking a few photos of my room before our investigation began. John and Rich arrived at 9.30pm as planned, and Rich took a seat on the sofa next to me, immediately commenting on how comfortable it was. John sat on an armchair in the corner. Rich helped himself to one of the grapes from my fruit bowl. Wow, they're good grapes, he said. Following it up with, do you want the apple? I told him to help himself. It was time for the serious business to begin. We'd already identified the areas we were going to try and spend time in, and we had a variety of experiments, including some new ones we were keen to try. We always set our voice recorders away as early as possible. I positioned a digital voice recorder in the bedroom and one on the table in the living area where we were sat. John had brought an old analogue voice recorder which takes tiny cassettes and he placed it upon the bureau. We also wanted to try a new experiment, recording over white noise. To do this we tuned the battered old radio I brought with me between radio stations so all we could hear was the static. I then took a brand new sealed cassette tape put it into the radio player and pressed record. The theory being that spirit can communicate in the white noise, although some believe this can be dangerous as the investigators have no control over which spirits come through, similar to conducting a Ouija board. White noise was brought into the public eye in a big way by the 2005 movie of the same name starring Michael Keaton. In the movie Keaton contacts his late wife via white noise 
but he soon attracts other entities including a number of demons, which ultimately end up taking his life in a particularly grisly manner. We turned the lights out, although we still had some light coming in through the large bay windows, casting the shadow of John sat in the armchair across the length of the room. Rich once more our reluctant spokesperson began to speak aloud. We are here in complete respect. We are looking for proof that there is life after death. If there are any spirits... At this he was stopped mid-sentence by a loud bang from the bedroom, which all three of us had clearly heard. I cautiously went into the room to see if anything had perhaps fallen that could have made the noise, but I found nothing. I personally was excited by such a promising start, but I also had the nagging concern that I would have to sleep here all alone once our group investigation ended. I suggested that Rich continue to ask out, perhaps for another bang, but he seemed preoccupied. He was staring at the floor and hadn't heard a word I'd said. I gave him a nudge and he suddenly sprang back into life. He told us that he'd had the overwhelming feeling of somebody walking past him, having walked in through the main door to the room, past him and into the bedroom. So strong was his sensation that he told us that if he'd looked up, he'd have been more surprised to not see someone for there to be somebody there. No sooner had Rich finished explaining this that both he and John spoke at exactly the same time, saying, can you hear that? I said, what can you hear? And they both said they could clearly hear voices talking through the static on the radio, which I'd positioned next to the fireplace. I moved closer to the radio and turned the volume up slightly, and there were no denying that there were at least two different voices coming through, male and female, although their words were indiscernible. We discussed that it could be perhaps that I'd positioned the radio dial too close to a station and it was causing interference, although to be honest I'd been very careful to choose a frequency which wasn't near to any other stations at all. To be sure, we agreed that I would change it from the AM frequencies that I was using to FM and carefully place it at the lowest end of the scale, nowhere near any other stations. I again suggested that Rich should ask out, but before he could even respond we heard talking again. However, this time it wasn't from the radio. The voices were inside the room with us. It was a man and a woman talking softly. John checked outside on the landing, but there was nobody there. We listened for three minutes, during which time the voices got quieter and quieter, before simply fading away completely. While we'd been listening to the very definite voices around us, I'd caught sight of movement out the corner of my eye. However, when I turned to see what it was, it turned out to be nothing more than a beetle climbing up the wall. When I later told Rich of this beetle sighting, he suggested I should call this chapter Resident Weevil. Rich spoke aloud, asking for any spirits with us to affect us in some way, suggesting that they could perhaps try and alter the temperature around us. Again we had an immediate response, as John said he felt a cold breeze moving around him. He was sat closest to the window and it was certainly a chilly evening, so Rich and I suggested it may be as a result of that. He shook his head and said that he'd been sat there for close to half an hour and he'd felt nothing like this. Despite Middlethorpe Hall Hotel being fairly unknown as an active venue, we were having constant, amazing happenings all around us and it was only 10pm. Because of the promising start to our investigation, I suggested that it may be the ideal opportunity to try another new experiment for us. Inspired by the mirror room at Haunted, our previous venue, I lit a small candle in front of the large mirror on a dressing table at the far end of the bedroom and Rich sat at an angle looking into the mirror 
so we could see the rest of the room using only the light from the candle. John and I returned to our seats in the living area, and the three of us sat quietly. After only a few minutes, Rich said, Rob, are you moving around in there? John and I looked at each other, and it was clear John was as puzzled as I was. I responded with a very certain no. Rich sounded a little alarmed and asked if somebody could turn a light on. John turned the light on and we both walked into the bedroom to see what Rich had seen. Rich didn't turn to speak to us. He continued to look into the mirror and he explained what he'd seen. In the doorway between the two rooms, he'd seen a figure sitting on the window ledge, rocking back and forth. He said he could see it as clear as day. We changed places with John sitting in front of the mirror and Rich joining me in the living room, choosing to sit on the sofa, so I sat on the armchair near the window. We sat silently again. My eyes were drawn to the portraits above Rich, one of a well-dressed, obviously very important man, and the other of an equally well-dressed lady. I tried to avoid looking at either of them since I came into the room. It may sound odd, but I had felt that their eyes were following me. My eyes were no doubt playing tricks on me in the darkness, but it seemed to me like the woman in the portrait above Rich moved slightly. I told him and he quickly jumped up and said, don't tell me that, as he moved further along the sofa. Almost 20 minutes later, we agreed to move to the next room. We all agreed that the Duke of York suite had been incredibly active, despite seeming to fade away towards the end of our vigil in the room. This had proven to be a bit of a double-edged sword to me personally, as I was extremely excited by the definite responses to our questions, and the fact that Rich may well have seen an actual ghost sat upon the windowsill. However, it was always in the back of my mind that later this evening I'd have to return to this room and spend the night here, alone. I left a voice recorder switched on in my room to pick up on any unusual sounds while the room was empty, and we quietly moved along the corridor to room five, John's room. We sat down in the three seats in John's room, which was very spacious for a hotel room, but which seemed small compared to the Duke of York suite that we'd been in for the last hour or so. Rich asked John to close the bathroom door that he could see into from where he was sat, as he said that dark bathrooms make him feel uneasy. Rich tried asking for anyone with us to make themselves known, to which there was no response. We tried asking a variety of questions across the next 15 minutes, but each was met with silence. We agreed that the room fell flat, and John seemed quite pleased by this, saying that he would have no problem sleeping here later on. We talked over a different approach, and lit a small candle in front of the mirror in John's bedroom, and another in front of the bathroom mirror. Rich sat in front of the mirror in the bedroom, and John stood in front of the huge bathroom mirror. Within only a couple of minutes, Rich said he felt a warm tingle across his shoulders and down his arms, as if somebody was hugging him from behind. After five minutes, John and I swapped places. I'd been in the bathroom for five minutes, when John and Rich whispered quietly for me to come back into the bedroom. They told me they could hear voices, and I could now hear them too. A man and a woman were talking. We remained silent, listening intently, and the voices stopped, but were then replaced by a rhythmic banging and moaning. We realised the voices were coming from the next room, and were most definitely not paranormal. John set his newest piece of equipment, a video camera with night vision functionality on a dressing table, with most of the room in its field of view and pressed record. We left the room and crossed the landing and Rich unlocked the door to room 11. Rich sat on his bed, 
John and I sat on the chairs facing the bed. There was a wide mirror high on the wall above the bed, and I saw something black move across the window behind John blocking out the light. However, it couldn't have been outside as we were on the first floor. I asked John to sit in my seat and I walked past the window. We established that the light must have been blocked out at head height, with the window being so high. Again in a similar vein to room 5, the room felt comfortable. It was flat, and with it being after midnight it seemed that we would be better off moving to another room than spending more time here. We walked past my room into the lavish communal sitting room at the top of the first floor staircase. As we'd expected at this late hour it was empty. We passed through the room and into a boardroom that we'd been told we could use when we checked in. It was a fairly narrow room with a long table with five seats around it, one at each end and three down one side. John sat at one end and I sat at the other with Rich in the centre seat. We had placed our voice recorders on the table and began our session. Unfortunately, 20 minutes passed by uneventfully. We relocated to the sitting room, sitting in the big comfy chairs and again we asked aloud for some kind of indication that we weren't alone. But all of our attempts to communicate with spirit that may be present proved fruitless. There was absolute silence, occasionally broken by the faint sound of passing traffic. It was after 1am and with a long day and night ahead of us tomorrow with another ghost hunt ahead, we agreed to bring our investigation to an end. We agreed to meet the following morning and wished each other a good night. However, little did we know at the time but for two of us, that most certainly wasn't going to be the case. I entered my room and I was on edge as a result of the happenings earlier. The bangs, the voices, the cold spots and the figure that Rich had seen. I walked past the eerie portraits in the living room and headed into the bedroom. I turned the television on as the silence made me feel uneasy. I climbed into the large, plush, comfortable bed, but despite being absolutely exhausted I couldn't sleep. After watching appalling early morning television, I finally dozed off sometime after 2am. I was rudely awakened by a high-pitched alarm, but I was still so tired that it felt like I'd only been asleep for a couple of hours. A little disorientated, I reached for my mobile phone. However, the alarm wasn't on my phone, and I'd not been asleep for two hours. I'd only been asleep for a little over an hour, as it was 3.03am. So what was the noise? I got out of bed and quickly realised the noise was coming from inside the bag with my investigation equipment in it. It was my EMF meter, a piece of equipment I've taken along to all of our investigations in York, but rarely used. It measures electromagnetic fields, which would usually be the cause of a power source, such as power cables or an electric socket, but some believe that EMF can also be caused by the presence of a spirit. To operate it, you push a button on the side and it shows a reading and makes a sound depending on the level of EMF. However, I wasn't pushing the button in, so it shouldn't have been going off at all, yet it was reading a 10, the highest possible reading on the scale. As soon as I picked it up, it stopped. The next morning when I would tell the guys what had happened, I demonstrated the sound in the same spot, and the reading was virtually non-existent. So whatever was causing the reading wasn't a power supply in the room. I woke at 9am after a terrible night's sleep. I knew the others were going for breakfast, but rather than join them I decided to have a bath and try and wake myself up. After I had my bath and was dressed, I sat on the window for a while watching the squirrels, rabbits and birds in the meadow outside. It was fairly sunny, but the early morning frost glistening on the grass was a sure sign that the recent Indian summer we'd been lucky enough to have, 
having not had a proper summer as such, was well and truly over. At just before 11am, John and Rich came into my room all packed and ready to leave. Before I could even ask how they'd slept or how their breakfast had been, Rich pointed an accusing finger in my direction and asked if I turned his radio on. I didn't know what he had meant, so he went on to tell us of what had happened after we'd went our separate ways the night before. I returned to my room ready for a good night's sleep, quite pleased that nothing major had happened around my bedside during our vigil earlier that night. As soon as I had unlocked the door and started to push it open, I could hear a light mumbling coming from inside, accompanied by that ultra-high-pitched electronic whine you get when somebody turns a television on in another room. Hello? I asked, adopting a fighting pose that I'm sure resembled Muhammad Ali at the height of his boxing career, and not a frightened Geordie at the height of his ghost-bothering career. I turned the corner into the bedroom area and spotted the radio was glowing and soft voices were spilling from it. I cursed Rob for his practical joke. I was sure he had knocked it on as we were leaving the room an hour or so before. Switching it off, I noticed how difficult it was to turn the knob. It required a bit of force before it would audibly click on or off. It wasn't something that could be done accidentally. I didn't dare to look in the mirrors in the room as I got ready for bed. I tried to push the thought of the dark shadow Rob had seen moving across them out of my mind and started to watch television. Several hours of viewing later, I felt suitably exhausted enough to fall asleep I met John and we headed down to one of the best breakfasts I've ever had. Pastries, cereals, cooked meats and eggs. I was offered a choice of two different types of bacon or both. However, it was the final straw for my tiredness, so I went back to my room after the meal and with sunshine blazing through the blinds, promptly fell asleep. After my nap, we all met in Rob's room and I cursed him again for leaving my radio on. He is known for being a bit of a prankster, but swore blind that it had nothing to do with him. Prankster he may be, but a good liar he is not, so I opted to believe him. I was glad the night at Middlethorpe Hall Hotel was over, but I was ecstatic that we hadn't booked a second night. John said he'd slept soundly from the moment his head hit the pillow until his alarm woke him up in time for breakfast. He told us that after his breakfast, which he agreed was one of, if not the best he'd ever had, he reviewed the footage from the video camera, and sadly, we'd drawn a blank. We checked out and thanked the staff for their wonderful hospitality. They inquired as to how we'd got on, and we told them that despite the initial investigation being a little disappointing, other than the happenings in the Duke of York suite, we'd experienced two impossible occurrences overnight. We put our bags into the boot of my car, and we discussed what we were going to do on our day in York, leading up to another paranormal investigation that night. Thank you for joining me for this special episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and there'll be many more to come as I'll aim to put out a bonus episode for Patreon supporters at least once a month. If you're not a Patreon supporter, and you're listening to this in the future when I've released it to everybody, you could get access to these bonus podcasts three months earlier by becoming a Patreon supporter for only £3 a month, and you'll also get early access to all the weekly podcasts. For more information, check out the podcast description, head over to www.how-haunted.com 
or go to patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at howhauntedpod or over on Instagram at howhauntedpod where you will see photos galore relating to the investigation at Middlethorpe Hall Hotel. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location, suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to the podcast, why not buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help people to find How Haunted. I have a copy of my book Ghosts of Edinburgh up for grabs. If you'd like to enter, all you need to do is leave How Haunted a podcast review on iTunes, or whatever podcatcher you use. Then drop me an email at rob at how-haunted.com to let me know. The competition will end on Halloween 2022, and the winner will be announced on Twitter and the first podcast episode after the closing date. Next time out, I'll start a brand new competition. The prize is rather fittingly going to be a copy of my book Ghosts of York, including the very chapter you've just heard. Thank you so much for accompanying me for this very special episode. Stay safe, and join me next time when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted? Thank you.